Chapter Seven of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Seven, Part Two. The Event of the Season. Jefferson Buck was not bold enough to confront the doctor with Miss Susie's question, for he did not look as if he were in the mood to answer queries put by curious young people. His eyes were fixed steadily on the dark girl, every movement of whom he seemed to follow. She was, indeed, an apparition of wild beauty, so unlike the girls about her that it seemed nothing more than natural that, when she moved, the group should part to let her pass through them, and that she should carry the centre of all looks and thoughts with her. She was dressed to please her own fancy, evidently, with small regard to the modes declared correct by the Rockland milliners and mantua-makers. Her heavy black hair lay in a braided coil, with a long gold pin shat through it like a javelin. Round her neck was a golden torque, a round cord-like chain such as the gulls used to wear the dying gladiator has it her dress was a grayish watered silk her collar was pinned with a flashing diamond brooch the stones looking as fresh as morning dewdrops but the silver setting of the past generation her arms were bare round but slender rather than large in keeping with her lithe round figure on her wrists she wore bracelets one was a circlet of enameled scales, the other looked as if it might have been Cleopatra's asp, with its body turned to gold and its eyes to emeralds. Her father, for Dudley Venner was her father, looked like a man of culture and breeding, but melancholy and with a distracted air, as one whose life had met some fatal cross or blight. He saluted hardly anybody except his entertainers and the doctor one would have said to look at him that he was not at the party by choice and it was natural enough to think with susie pettingill that it must have been a freak of the dark girls which brought him there for he had the air of a shy and sad-hearted recluse it was hard to say what could have brought elsie venner to the party hardly anybody seemed to know her and she seemed not at all disposed to make acquaintances here and there was one of the older girls from the institute but she appeared to have nothing in common with them even in the schoolroom it may be remembered she sat apart by her own choice and now in the midst of the crowd she made a circle of isolation round herself drawing her arm out of her father's she stood against the wall and looked with a strange cold glitter in her eyes at the crowd which moved and babbled before her the old doctor came up to her by and by. "'Well, Elsie, I am quite surprised to find you here. Do tell me how you happened to do such a good-natured thing as to let us see you at such a great party.' "'It's been dull at the mansion-house,' she said, and I wanted to get out of it. It's too lonely there. There's nobody to hate since Dick's gone.' The doctor laughed good-naturedly, as if this were an amusing bit of pleasantry but he lifted his head and dropped his eyes a little, so as to see her through his spectacles. 
she narrowed her lids slightly as one often sees a sleepy cat narrow hers somewhat as you may remember our famous margaret used to if you remember her at all so that her eyes looked very small but bright as the diamonds on her breast the old doctor felt very oddly as she looked at him he did not like the feeling so he dropped his head and lifted his eyes and looked at her over his spectacles again and how have you all been at the mansion house said the doctor oh well enough but dick's gone and there's nobody left but dudley and i and the people i'm tired of it what kills anybody quickest doctor then in a whisper i ran away again the other day you know where did you go the doctor spoke in a low serious tone oh to the old place here i brought this for you the doctor started as she handed him a flower of the atrogene americana for he knew that there was only one spot where it grew and that not one where any rash foot least of all a thin-shod woman's foot should venture how long were you gone said the doctor only one night you should have heard the horns blowing and the guns firing dudley was frightened out of his wits old sophie told him she'd had a dream and that i should be found in dead man's hollow with a great rock lying on me they hunted all over it but they didn't find me i was farther up dr kittridge looked cloudy and worried while she was speaking but forced a pleasant professional smile as he said cheerily and as if wishing to change the subject have a good dance this evening elsie the fiddlers are tuning up where's the young master has he come yet or is he going to be late with the other great folks the girl turned away without answering and looked towards the door the great folks meaning the mansion-house gentry were just beginning to come dudley venner and his daughter had been the first of them judge thornton white-headed fresh-faced as good at sixty as he was at forty with a youngish second wife and one noble daughter arabella who they said knew as much law as her father a stately portia-like girl fit for a premier's wife not like to find her match even in the great cities she sometimes visited the trecothics the family of a merchant in the larger sense who having made himself rich enough by the time he had reached middle life threw down his ledger as scylla did his dagger and retired to make a little paradise around him in one of the stateliest residences of the town a family inheritance the vaughns an old rockland race descended from its first settlers toryish in tendency in revolutionary times and barely escaping confiscation or worse the dunhams a new family dating its gentility only as far back as the honorable washington dunham m c but turning out a clever boy or two that went to college and some showy girls with white necks and fat arms who had picked up professional husbands these were the principal mansion-house people all of them had made it a point to come and as each of them entered it seemed to colonel and mrs sprell that the lamps burned up with a more cheerful light and that the fiddles which sounded from the uncarpeted room were all half a tone higher and half a beat quicker mr bernard came in later than any of them he had been busy with his new duties he looked well and that is saying a good deal 
for nothing but a gentleman is endurable in full dress hair that masses well a head set on with an air a neckerchief tied cleverly by an easy practised hand close-fitting gloves feet well shaped and well covered these advantages can make us forgive the odious sable broadcloth suit which appears to have been adopted by society on the same principle that condemned all the venetian gondolas to perpetual and uniform blackness mr bernard introduced by mr geordie made his bow to the colonel and his lady and to miss matilda from whom he got a particularly gracious curtsey and then began looking about him for acquaintances he found two or three faces he knew many more strangers there was silas peckham there was no mistaking him there was the inelastic amplitude of mrs peckham few of the apollinean girls of course they not being recognized members of society but there is one with the flame in her cheeks and the fire in her eyes the girl of vigorous tints and emphatic outlines whom we saw entering the schoolroom the other day old judge thornton has his eyes on her and the colonel steals a look every now and then at the red brooch which lifts itself so superbly into the light as if he thought it a wonderfully becoming ornament mr bernard himself was not displeased with the general effect of the rich-blooded schoolgirl as she stood under the bright lamps fanning herself in the warm languid air fixed in a kind of passionate surprise at the new life which seemed to be flowing out in her consciousness perhaps he looked at her somewhat steadily as some others had done at any rate she seemed to feel that she was looked at as people often do and turning her eyes suddenly on him caught his own on her face gave him a half bashful smile and threw in a blush involuntarily which made it more charming what can i do better he said to himself than have a dance with rosa milburn so he carried his handsome pupil into the next room and took his place with her in a cotillion whether the breath of the goddess of love could intoxicate like the cup of circe whether a woman is ever phosphorescent with the luminous vapour of life that she exhales these and other questions which relate to occult influences exercised by certain women we will not now discuss it is enough that mr bernard was sensible of a strange fascination not wholly new to him nor unprecedented in the history of human experience but always a revelation when it comes over us for the first or the hundredth time so pale is the most recent memory by the side of the passing moment with the flush of any newborn passion on its cheek remember that nature makes every man love all women and trust the trivial matter of special choice to the commonest accident if mr bernard had had nothing to distract his attention he might have thought too much about his handsome partner and then gone home and dreamed about her which is always dangerous and waked up thinking of her still and then begun to be deeply interested in her studies and so on through the whole syllogism which ends in nature's supreme quad erat demonstrandum what was there to distract him or disturb him he did not know but there was something this sumptuous creature this eve just within the gate of an untried paradise untutored in the ways of the world 
but on tiptoe to reach the fruit of the tree of knowledge alive to the moist vitality of that warm atmosphere palpitating with voices and music as the flower of some diaceous plant which has grown in a lone corner and suddenly unfolding its corolla on some hot breathing june evening feels that the air is perfumed with strange odors and loaded with golden dust wafted from those other blossoms with which its double life is shared this almost over-womanized woman might well have bewitched him but that he had a vague sense of a counter-charm it was perhaps only the same consciousness that someone was looking at him which he himself had just given occasion to in his partner presently in one of the turns of the dance he felt his eyes drawn to a figure he had not distinctly recognized though he had dimly felt its presence and saw that elsie venner was looking at him as if she saw nothing else but him he was not a nervous person like the poor lady teacher yet the glitter of the diamond eyes affected him strangely it seemed to disenchant the air so full a moment before of strange attractions he became silent and dreamy as it were the round-limbed beauty at his side crushed her gauzy draperies against him as they trod the figure of the dance together but it was no more to him than if an old nurse had laid her hand on his sleeve the young girl chafed at his seeming neglect and her imperious blood mounted into her cheeks but he appeared unconscious of it there is one of our young ladies i must speak to he said and was just leaving his partner's side four hands all round shouted the first violin and mr bernard found himself seized and whirled in a circle out of which he could not escape and then forced to cross over and then to do -si do as the maestro had it and when on getting back to his place he looked for elsie venner she was gone the dancing went on briskly some of the old folks looked on others conversed in groups and pairs and so the evening wore along until a little after ten o'clock about this time there was noticed an increased bustle in the passages with a considerable opening and shutting of doors presently it began to be whispered about that they were going to have supper many who had never been to any large party before held their breath for a moment at this announcement it was rather with a tremulous interest than with open hilarity that the rumor was generally received one point the colonel had entirely forgotten to settle it was a point involving not merely propriety but perhaps principle also or at least the good report of the house and he had never thought to arrange it he took judge thornton aside and whispered the important question to him in his distress of mind mistaking pockets and taking out his bandana instead of his white handkerchief to wipe his forehead judge he said do you think that before we commence refreshing ourselves at the tables it would be the proper thing to crave um to request deacon soper or some other elderly person to ask a blessing the judge looked as grave as if he were about giving the opinion of the court in the great india rubber case on the whole he answered after a pause i should think it might perhaps be dispensed with on this occasion young folks are noisy and it is awkward to have talking and laughing going on while blessing is being asked unless a clergyman is present 
and makes a point of it, I think it will hardly be expected. The colonel was infinitely relieved. Judge, will you take Mrs. Sproul in to supper? And the colonel returned the compliment by offering his arm to Mrs. Judge Thornton. The door of the supper-room was now open, and the company, following the lead of the host and hostess, began to stream into it until it was pretty well filled. There was an awful kind of pause. Many were beginning to drop their heads and shut their eyes, in anticipation of the usual petition before a meal. Some expected the music to strike up, others that an oration would now be delivered by the colonel. "'Make yourselves at home, ladies and gentlemen,' said the colonel. "'Good things were made to eat, and you're welcome to all you see before you.' So saying, he attacked a huge turkey, which stood at the head of the table, and his example being followed first by the bold, then by the doubtful, and lastly by the timid, the clatter soon made the circuit of the tables. Some were shocked, however, as the colonel had feared they would be, at the want of the customary invocation. Widow Leach, a kind of relation, who had to be invited, and who came with her old, back-country-looking string of gold beads round her neck, seemed to feel very serious about it. If she'd a known that folks would begrudge craven a blessin' over such a heap of provisions, she'd rather has stayed to home. It was a bad sign when folks wasn't grateful for the bounties of Providence. The elder Miss Spiney, to whom she made this remark, assented to it, at the same time ogling a piece of frosted cake, which she presently appropriated with great refinement of manner, taking it between her thumb and forefinger, keeping the others well spread and the little finger in extreme divergence, with a graceful undulation of the neck and a queer little sound in her throat, as of an M that wanted to get out and perished in the attempt. The tables now presented an animated spectacle. Young fellows of the more dashing sort, with high stand-up collars and voluminous bows to their neckerchiefs, distinguished themselves by cutting up fowls and offering portions thereof to the buxom girls these knowing ones had commonly selected a bit of the wing roxy or of the under limb the first laugh broke out at this but it was premature a sporadic laugh as dr kittredge would have said which did not become epidemic people were very solemn as yet many of them being new to such splendid scenes and crushed as it were in the presence of so much crockery and so many silver spoons and such a variety of unusual viands and beverages when the laugh rose round roxy and her saucy bow several looked in that direction with an anxious expression as if something had happened a lady fainted for instance or a couple of lively fellows come to high words young folks will be young folks said deacon soper no harm done least said soonest mended have some of these shell oysters said the colonel to mrs trecothick a delicate emphasis on the word shell implied that the colonel knew what was what to the new england inland native beyond the reach of the east winds the oyster unconditioned the oyster absolute without a qualifying adjective is the pickled oyster mrs trecothick who knew very well that an oyster long out of his shell as is apt to be the case with the rural bivalve gets homesick and loses his sprightliness replied 
with the pleasantest smile in the world that the chicken she had been helped to was too delicate to be given up even for the greater rarity but the word shell oysters had been overheard and there was a perceptible crowding movement towards their newly discovered habitat a large soup tureen silas peckham had meantime fallen upon another locality of these recent mollusks he said nothing but helped himself freely and made a sign to mrs peckham lorindy he whispered shell oysters and ladled them out to her largely without betraying any emotion just as if they had been the natural inland or pickled article after the more solid portion of the banquet had been duly honored the cakes and sweet preparations of various kinds began to get their share of attention these were great cakes and little cakes cakes with raisins in them cakes with currants and cakes without either there were brown cakes and yellow cakes frosted cakes glazed cakes hearts and rounds and jumbles which playful youth slip over the forefinger before spoiling their annular outline there were mounds of blancmanger of the arrowroot variety that being undistinguishable from such as is made with russia isinglass there were jellies which had been shaking all the time the young folks were dancing in the next room as if they were balancing to partners there were built-up fabrics called charlottes cakey externally pulpy within there were also meringues and likewise custards some of the indolent fluid sort others firm in which every stroke of the teaspoon left a smooth conchoidal surface like the fracture of chalcedony with here and there a little eye like what one sees in cheeses nor was that most wonderful object of domestic art called trifle wanting with its charming confusion of cream and cake and almonds and jam and jelly and wine and cinnamon and froth nor yet the marvellous floating island name suggestive of all that is romantic in the imaginations of youthful palates it must have cost you a sight of work to say nothing of money to get all this beautiful confectionery made for the party said mrs crane to mrs sprell well it cost some considerable labor no doubt said mrs sprell matilda and our girls and i made most all the cake with our own hands and we all feel some tired but if folks get what suits em we don't begrudge the time nor the work but i do feel thirsty said the poor lady and i think a glass of srub would do my throat good it's dreadful dry mr peckham would you be so polite as to pass me a glass of srub silas peckham bowed with great alacrity and took from the table a small glass cup containing a fluid reddish in hue and subacid in taste this was srub a beverage in local repute of questionable nature but suspected of owing its tint and sharpness to some kind of syrup derived from the maroon-coloured fruit of the sumac there were similar small cups on the table filled with lemonade and here and there a decanter of madeira wine of the marsala kind which some prefer to and many more cannot distinguish from that which comes from the atlantic island take a glass of wine judge said the colonel here is an article that i rather think'll suit you the judge knew something of wines and could tell all the famous old madeiras from each other eclipse 
Juno, the almost fabulously scarce and precious white top, and the rest. He struck the nativity of the Mediterranean Madeira before it had fairly moistened his lip. A sound wine, Colonel, and I should think of a genuine vintage. Your very good health. Deacon Soper, said the Colonel, here is some mattery Judge Thornton recommends. Let me fill you a glass of it. The deacon's eyes glistened. He was one of those consistent Christians who stick firmly by the first miracle and Paul's advice to Timothy. A little good wine won't hurt anybody, said the deacon. Plenty, 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 there. He had not withdrawn his glass while the colonel was pouring, for fear it should spill, and now it was running over. It is very odd how all a man's philosophy and theology are at the mercy of a few drops of a fluid which the chemists say consists of nothing but carbon-4, oxygen-2, hydrogen-6. The deacon's theology fell off several points towards latitudinarianism in the course of the next ten minutes. He had a deep inward sense that everything was as it should be, human nature included. The little accidents of humanity, known collectively to moralists as sin, looked very venial to his growing sense of universal brotherhood and benevolence. It will all come right, the deacon said to himself. I feel a joyful conviction that everything is for the best. I am favored with a blessed peace of mind and a very precious season of good feeling toward my fellow creatures. A lusty young fellow happened to make a quick step backward just at that instant and put his heel with his weight on top of it upon the deacon's toes ugh what the de de diddies are you about with them great hoffs o yourn said the deacon with an expression upon his features not exactly that of peace and good-will to men the lusty young fellow apologized but the deacon's face did not come right and his theology backed round several points in the direction of total depravity some of the dashing young men in stand-up collars and extensive neckties encouraged by mr geordie made quite free with the maderi and even introduced some of the more stylish girls not of the mansion-house set but of the tip-top two-story families to taste a little most of these young ladies made faces at it and declared it was perfectly horrid with that aspect of veracity peculiar to their age and sex about this time a movement was made on the part of some of the mansion-house people to leave the supper-table miss jane trekethick had quietly hinted to her mother that she had had enough of it miss arabella thornton had whispered to her father that he had better adjourn this court to the next room there were signs of migration a loosening of people in their places a looking about for arms to hitch on to stop said the colonel there's something coming yet ice cream the great folks saw that the play was not over yet and that it was only polite to stay and see it out the word ice cream was no sooner whispered than it passed from one to another all down the tables the effect was what might have been anticipated many of the guests had never seen this celebrated product of human skill and to all the two-story population of rockland it was the last expression of the art of pleasing and astonishing the human palate 
Its appearance had been deferred for several reasons, first because everybody would have attacked it if it had come in with the other luxuries, secondly because undue apprehensions were entertained, owing to want of experience, of its tendency to deliquesce and resolve itself with alarming rapidity into puddles of creamy fluid, and thirdly because the surprise would make a grand climax to finish off the banquet. There is something so audacious in the conception of ice-cream that it is not strange that a population, undebauched by the luxury of great cities, looks upon it with a kind of awe and speaks of it with a certain emotion. This defiance of the seasons, forcing nature to do her work of congelation in the face of her sultriest noon, might well inspire a timid mind with fear lest human art were revolting against the higher powers, and raise the same scruples which resisted the use of ether and chloroform in certain contingencies. Whatever may be the cause, it is well known that the announcement at any private rural entertainment that there is to be ice-cream produces an immediate and profound impression. It may be remarked, as aiding this impression, that exaggerated ideas are entertained as to the dangerous effects this congealed food may produce on persons not in the most robust health. There was silence as the pyramids of ice were placed on the table, everybody looking on in admiration. The colonel took a knife and assailed the one at the head of the table. When he tried to cut off a slice, it didn't seem to understand it, however, and only tipped, as if it wanted to upset. The colonel attacked it on the other side, and it tipped just as badly the other way. It was awkward for the colonel. Permit me, said the judge, and he took the knife and struck a sharp, slanting stroke, which sliced off a piece just of the right size, and offered it to Mrs. Sproul. This act of dexterity was much admired by the company. The tables were all alive again. Lorindy, here's a plate of ice-cream, said Silas Peckham. Come, Mahali, said a fresh-looking young fellow, with a saucerful in each hand. Here's your ice-cream. Let's go in the corner and have a celebration, us two. And the old green delame, with the young curves under it to make it sit well, moved off as pleased, apparently, as if it had been silk velvet, with thousand-dollar laces over it. Oh, now, Miss Green— do you think it's safe to put that cold stuff into your stomach? said the widow leech to a young married lady, who, finding the air rather warm, thought a little ice would cool her down very nicely. It's just like eatin' snowballs. You don't look very rugged, and I should be dreadful afeard if I was you. Carry, said old Dr. Kittridge, who had overheard this, how well you're looking this evening. But you must be tired and heated." sit down here and let me give you a good slice of ice-cream. How you young folks do grow up, to be sure. I don't feel quite certain whether it's you or your older sister, but I know it's somebody I call Carrie, and that I've known ever since. A sound something between a howl and an oath startled the company and broke off the doctor's sentence. Everybody's eyes turned in the direction from which it came. A group instantly gathered round the person who had uttered it, who was no other than Deacon Soper. "'He's chokin'! He's chokin!' was the first exclamation. "'Slap him on the back!' 
several heavy fists beat such a tattoo on his spine that the deacon felt as if at least one of his vertebrae would come up. "'He's black in the face,' said Widow Leach. "'He's swallowed something the wrong way. Where's the doctor? Let the doctor get to him, can't ye?' "'If you will move, my good lady, perhaps I can,' said Dr. Kittredge, in a calm tone of voice. "'He's not choking, my friends,' the doctor added immediately, when he got sight of him. "'It's apoplexy. I told you so. Don't you see how red he is in the face?' said old Mrs. Peake, a famous woman for nussin sick folks, determined to be a little ahead of the doctor. "'It's not apoplexy,' said Dr. Kittredge. "'What is it, doctor? What is it? Will he die? Is he dead? Here's his poor wife, the widow Soper, that is to be, if she ain't a-ready.' "'Do be quiet, my good woman,' said Dr. Kittredge. "'Nothing serious, I think.' "'Mrs. Soper? Deacon!' The sudden attack of Deacon Soper had begun with the extraordinary sound mentioned above. His features had immediately assumed an expression of intense pain, his eyes staring wildly and clapping his hands to his face. He had rocked his head backward and forward in speechless agony. At the doctor's sharp appeal, the deacon lifted his head. "'It's all right,' said the doctor, as soon as he saw his face. The deacon had a smart attack of neuralgic pain, that's all, very severe, but not at all dangerous. The doctor kept his countenance, but his diaphragm was shaking the change in iris waistcoat pockets with subterranean laughter. He had looked through his spectacles and seen at once what had happened. The deacon, not being in the habit of taking his nourishment in the congealed state, had treated the ice-cream as a pudding of a rare species, and, to make sure of doing himself justice in its distribution, had taken a large mouthful of it without the least precaution. The consequence was a sensation as if a dentist were killing the nerves of twenty-five teeth at once with hot irons or cold ones, which would hurt rather worse. The deacon swallowed something with a spasmodic effort, and recovered pretty soon, and received the congratulations of his friends. There were different versions of the expressions he had used at the onset of his complaint, some of the reported exclamations involving a breach of propriety, to say the least, but it was agreed that a man in an attack of neuralgia wasn't to be judged of by the rules that applied to other folks. The company soon after this retired from the supper-room. The mansion-house gentry took their leave, and the two-story people soon followed. Mr. Bernard had stayed an hour or two, and left soon after he found that Elsie Venner and her father had disappeared. As he passed by the dormitory of the Institute, he saw a light glimmering from one of its upper rooms, where the lady teacher was still waking. His heart ached when he remembered that, through all these hours of gaiety, or what was meant for it, the patient girl had been at work in her little chamber, and he looked up at the silent stars, as if to see that they were watching over her. The planet Mars was burning like a red coal. The northern constellation was slanting downward about its central point of flame, and while he looked, a falling star slid from the zenith and was lost. He reached his chamber and was soon dreaming over the event of the season.
End of chapter 7, part 2.